18 tonight. Proverbs 18, verse 1 through 10, we'll take tonight. A lot of what we're covering tonight will probably be pretty brief. It's a lot of it's just review of things we've covered recently in Proverbs. He kind of goes, this whole chapter, chapter 18, is kind of a review, but a lot of it's stuff it's good to go over again briefly and just kind of remind ourselves of it. Remember, as I've said, the Proverbs are the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God is personified, of course, in Christ. But in the Proverbs, in this book of Proverbs, what we have is practical day-to-day scenarios where we live out the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are to love God with all your heart and soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's, well, that's the law. That's the summary of the law. But that's summarized in the Ten Commandments as the first table of the law it has to do with our love for God, and then the second half has to do with our love for neighbor. And so... We see in Proverbs is the living out of the law of God uh, practically. How do we love God? How do we love others? And a lot of that is in the book of Proverbs. If you're there, go ahead and stand if you're able to as we read the first 10 verses. Proverbs 18. And I'll begin with verse number one. Through desire, a man having separated himself seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool hath no delight in understanding but that his heart may discover itself. When the wicked cometh, then cometh also contempt, and with ignominy reproach. The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom as a flowing brook. It is not good to accept the person of the wicked, to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calleth for strokes. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are as wounds, and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Lord, bless your word tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll start in verse 1 and kind of work our way through here. Through desire a man, having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. This is a hard verse. As I studied this week, I was praying over it and looking at different commentaries on it. There are many interpretations of this verse. It's hard to tell if the life of isolation is being praised or condemned here. The underlying Hebrew makes it difficult to fully grasp, so I'm going to stick with the best sense I get from the English translation. It seems to praise the life of solitude. I say that because it appears to contrast this man seeking wisdom with the fool in verse number two. two, Through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh and intermeddleth with all wisdom. A fool, by contrast, has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. A man who's truly seeking God's wisdom, I think this is saying, will hold himself aloof from the things of the world. It will draw him out to the Lord. That is not normal Christianity. There there is a Christianity which is just normal, nominal 
Christianity. But I mean, when a man truly seeks to know the Lord, beyond just the, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I do nice things, I do my daily Bible reading, check it off my list, right? Somebody truly seeks to know the wisdom of God. It's going to draw him out to a solitary place where he has to, to a certain place, to a certain point, keep himself unentangled from the world, right? A person truly seeking to know God uh, will have less time for television uh, than the guy that's just a normal, everyday Christian. Uh, he's going to have less time for uh, hobbies, for sports. He's not going to be your typical. Nothing wrong with a dad or a mom going down on Saturday and their kid plays soccer and they spend all day at the park with them playing. Nothing wrong with that. But the person who's seeking to know God in a special and an intimate way may not have that much free time. It's going to call him to a place where he's alone with God a lot of the time. A person will be completely occupied in this pursuit. A good example of this kind of person is A.W. Tozer. Now, I'm not fully endorsing his lifestyle. I understand he had faults, like we all do. But he was known to have this special intimacy with God that he, he found it hard to make connections to other people because he was always thinking of the things of God. Now, he failed in some areas. I know his wife famously had said, when, she, when he passed away and she got remarried, you know, she made the statement that uh, my current husband, or, uh, uh, what is his name? Aiden, Aiden Tozer. Aiden loved God and my current husband loves me. In other words, he spends more time with me, he spent more time with God, right? So people debate today whether or not he neglected his family, whether or not his pursuits were good, but the point is, we have a lot of wisdom today from A.W. Tozer, a lot of, of God's wisdom in his books and his sermons. And when you listen to him or you read him, what you, what you get is this man knew God. This man knew God like most men of his day didn't. Most pastors of his day didn't spend the time with God that he would spend. I remember hearing uh, somebody uh, was giving a testimony, somebody who worked for it, I think it was his secretary said so he'd come in every morning and he'd go to his office and he kept in a pair of old jeans in his office. And he'd come in dressed in a suit like, like pastors did back then. They'd come in the office dressed in a suit all day. And he'd come into his office and he'd take off his coat and he'd take off his tie and he'd take off his pants and he'd switch to those raggedy old jeans. And then he'd go up into the balcony of the church and he'd get on his face before God and he'd spend hours there praying before God. And get up and go back in his office, put his suit pants and his suit back on. But he spent most of the day on his face talking to God. I, I promise you, very few pastors that were his contemporaries spent hours every day on their face before God. Harry Ironside was a man of amazing talent. He had a, a photographic memory. So as he read the Bible, he knew the Bible. Not just from reading it, but he'd remember what he read. By the time he was 14, he read the Bible through 14 times. Read it through every year of his life after that. Over 70 times, Ironside went through the Bible. 
He had such a familiar familiarity with the Bible. At one Bible conference, uh, the, the, the preachers got together for breakfast in the morning. And we're talking, this is like 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. They're getting together for breakfast. And they're sharing what they all read in devotions that morning. And one preacher said, I read this chapter, or I read these two chapters. Or, they got around the table to Ironside. They said, Dr. Ironside, what did you read for devotions this morning? And he wasn't a proud man. He, he quietly said, Isaiah. He had read the entire book of Isaiah for his morning devotion. He had been up since 2, 3 o'clock in the morning reading the book of Isaiah. While other men were sleeping, he was studying. This. Now that came into fruition in his life later on as he went blind in his later years and his his second wife, his wife passed away, and his, his new wife would travel with him. And it's amazing. You can still find these recordings. They still exist. And what he would do is he would get up in front of a church. And so let's say he's teaching the book of Revelation. He gets up in front of this church. His wife will read the entire chapter. Then Ironside would start at verse 1 and quote it and comment on it. And then verse 2, and he'd quote it. And he cut all the way down the chapter. Then chapter 2, and his wife would read the whole chapter. After she read it, he'd quote verse 1, comment on it, quote verse 2. Listen, that ability takes many, many years of pulling yourself away from worldly amusements and spending time with God. He traveled the country on trains, right? He had lots of free time. What did he do with his train time? He didn't take in the scenery. Other men could have taken in the scenery. Other men could have walked around and and talked and socialized, he read the Bible and he prayed. What I'm saying is if you're going to truly seek the wisdom of God, Christian, it may mean setting aside other things, things that aren't bad, things that aren't sinful, but things that will hold you back from a knowledge of God, hold you back from fellowship with God. And I would urge you to put those things away and spend more time in the word, more time in prayer, more time just sitting quietly in God's presence, listening to what he says to you. So much of our time, I think, is wasted, not on bad things and not on sinful things, but on things that just don't matter. In the end, when we stand before Christ, those things are not going to matter. I mean, get out and have a hobby and rest and relax. Do all those things. But pursue Christ. Because that's all that's going to matter is what you know of Christ. Hey, the day may come like Ironside where you go blind. And all you're going to have is those scriptures that you study throughout your life. And then what? How many do you know? Five, ten? Do you know a whole book? Those are the times that we're going to be glad that we put away some of these other things. Some of these, the busy, just the busyness of this world. I'm telling you. If you let it, it will distract you. It will take your focus. And before you know it, you're going to say, I, 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 I meant to read more of the Bible this week. I meant to pray more. I meant to witness more this week. Carve out time to know Christ. You say, well, Pastor, I have very little time. That means I can't watch any TV. Then get rid of your TV. If it comes down to TV or pursuing Christ, pursue Christ. So I have very little free time, Pastor. Then use it to pursue Christ. Because in eternity, you'll never regret pursuing Christ. You'll never regret, regret knowing Christ the Lord. 
Verse 2, a fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. A fool has no delight in understanding. He doesn't care to gain wisdom. He doesn't care to know wisdom. You ever talk to a fool? If you've talked to a fool, you know it. Because you try to share wisdom with him, and all he does is go, <laughs> roll his eyes, this again. He has no desire to know wisdom. His mind is set on foolishness. So many people in this world, they don't want to hear the wisdom of God. Their hearts are set on foolishness. I mean, you go out and, we go out in Wilson Park and we preach and we preach and we preach. And some people are nice and, oh, thank you for being out here. Or, I like what you're doing. Mostly they're lying, but, but there's a great many people that just walk by and they want nothing to do with the wisdom of God. They roll their eyes. They make a noise. They make a snarky comment. Listen, it's not a lack of belief, right? If we just convince them of the truth of it, then they believe. No, their hearts are set on foolishness. Their hearts are set on sin. The fool seeks only more foolishness and then to spread that around to others. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. What does God say? What does God say? I remember I was talking, my friend and I were talking to somebody. We were talking actually to his father-in-law. And he was wrong on a, on a major issue. I mean like heretical wrong. And we're trying to reason with him. My friend reaches in the back pocket and he pulls out the small Bible. And the man we're talking to goes, hey, 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 hey. Let's not bring the Bible into this. That's a fool. We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about doctrine. We're talking about God's word. But do you know what he wanted? His own foolish opinions, not what does the Bible actually say. Let's not bring that into this. This, this isn't about the Bible, he said. That's a fool. That's a fool who has settled his mind that he believes what he wants to believe. We say, well, let's, what is, let's look at what the Bible says. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what the Bible says. Beware of somebody who balks when you want to get into the Bible. Beware of that person. That's a fool right there. Verse 3, when the wicked cometh, then cometh also contempt, and with ignominy, reproach. The contempt here is the contempt the wicked feels for all that is good and holy. By the way, the wicked don't just do wickedly. They hate holiness. Wickedness grows in the center and ultimately consumes them. Their sins grow more grievous. They fall deeper and deeper into the well of their own depravity until finally they are consumed by the waters of sin. That's what hell is. Hell is a consuming of the sinner in his own sin. You realize that? Sin builds. Their hardness of heart builds over their lifetime. Sin gets worse and worse. You know why you know, there's an old saying that you can hide your sin you know, for so long, but eventually, he's gonna, you know why it comes out? Because it gets greater and greater, so you can't contain it anymore. People live in a double life, they can't contain their sin. They can't hide it, it's taken over so much of their life. And then they go to hell, and that's that well of their depravity I was talking about, because hell, it just consumes them. Hell is not a place where people are repentant. I know some people have this mind, when they get to hell, they'll wish they could repent. No, they won't. In hell, they are consumed by their own sin. 
Right? Imagine a sinner on earth and God's hand of restraint keeping him from being the sinner that he could be. Now imagine that same person cast into hell and that restraint of God has lifted off of him. What sin could he do then? Right? But he can't do it, can he? See, hell is a place where lust consumes, but it's never satisfied. Murder and hatred and theft are, are desired but never fulfilled. They are continually eaten up by their own desire to do evil, but they can't do any evil. Such is the case of sinners. Verse 4, the words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. When it says the words of a man's mouth, it has in view here not just any man, but the ideal man. The man who has sought and attained the wisdom of God. I think the only man that we can point to who has accomplished this is the Lord Jesus Christ. The words of a man's mouth are as deep waters, and the wellspring of his wisdom as a flowing brook. This is talking about Christ. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. Wisdom just flows from this man. The more he speaks, the deeper the waters. I think that perfectly describes the teaching ministry of Jesus, doesn't it? Why have you not brought him? <laughs> Never a man spake like this man. When he spoke, wisdom just came out. When the Pharisees came to Jesus by night and said, we know your teaching come from God, what does Jesus say? You must be born again. What? How can I enter a second time? He was floored immediately. The first thing out of Jesus' mouth, and it floors him. Jesus teaches in the temple, 12 years old. And they were amazed. They were astonished. He taught like somebody having authority. You know why? Because he did. He wrote the book. When Jesus spoke, wisdom just flowed from him. How about the woman caught in adultery? What happened there? They left one by one by one. Where are your accusers? Has no man condemned you? <laughs> Jesus is the man whose mouth is as deep waters. The more he talks, the deeper it gets in the wisdom of God. That's why, Christian, you need to set your heart to know Christ. Get into his words. These are the words of Christ. And the deeper you get, the deeper the waters of wisdom get. The deeper you will know God. Pretty soon, you'll be swimming in your knowledge of God. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It'll just flow right through you. The more you know Christ, it'll flow right out of you as you take in the wisdom of Christ. Verse 5, it is not good to accept the person of the wicked, to overthrow the righteous in judgment, It's not good for a judge to have respect to a wicked man and to favor him because he's rich or a relative or a political supporter. None of these things should have any influence upon him. Judges should not pervert justice because the wicked has donated to him or favored him in some way. It's part of the problem in our current system. It's so corrupt. You've got money, you get off the hook. I get so mad. I was watching, uh, you guys ever watch, the, you probably watch Cops. You ever watch the show Jail, which takes place in jail after they're arrested? 
shows the process and all that. Man, I was watching that the other day. I got so mad. I'm still mad about it. Because this person was driving drunk, hit and killed somebody, tried to save the person, but wasn't able to. person died instantly. And at the end of the show, they're talking about what he got. He got 40 years in prison. Listen, I'm not mad about that. He deserves 40 years in prison. But see, that took place in Las Vegas. The same city where a couple of years ago that football player was driving drunk and killed that girl. She didn't die instantly. She burned to death in the car. He didn't try to rescue her. He sat on the curb while she died. And he got four years in prison. Could have had up to 40, which what the other guy got. I thought to myself, was he let off? Yes, because he had money and fame. And this guy had none of that. I'm watching the show and I'm getting angry. That is perverting the ways of justice to favor the rich and the well-connected. Should never happen. Should never happen, especially in a godly society, should never happen. It's also wrong to overthrow the righteous in judgment. It's wrong to refuse him justice because he is poor or has done nothing for the judge. Justice ought to be done without any respect to persons to do otherwise is sinful. By the way, it's wrong to overthrow the righteous in judgment and let the sinner go free. We talked about, I think I mentioned it last week, those who exposed Planned Parenthood were prosecuted and Planned Parenthood wasn't, though they were breaking the law. That's ungodly. That is unrighteous. Verse 6, a fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calleth for strokes. A fool's mouth brings constant contention and sin. It calls for punishment. What do you mean by strokes? Punishment. really means a slap to the face. That's what it means. When a fool speaks, he's calling for a slap to the face. You could say his own mouth leads him to punishment. You ever found someone like that? Their own mouth leads them into punishment? Verse 7. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. He's talking a lot about the fool tonight. This verse is tied to the last one in terms of the subject. A fool is destroyed by his own mouth. He is his own undoing. A fool is his own worst enemy. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10 real quick. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 12. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. I like how Solomon words things here. The lips of a fool swallow him up. 
Now the lips of the, the wise, the words of the wise, they're gracious. A wise person is gracious. We were sitting in our car uh, about uh, two, three weeks ago. My wife was in the store. The car next to us opened the door and they dinged our door with their door. And immediately my son just, you need to get, boy, you, what did they, they just hit our car. We didn't get there and how dare they. Hang on. You go out and start doing that. You may end up in the hospital or dead. That's what a fool does. He unchecked, just lets his mouth go up. But you know what? It was an accident. They didn't hit it very hard. How about we just be gracious to them? How about we be gracious? I know if I, I know I've done that before. I want someone to be gracious with me when I make a mistake. That's the difference, church. A fool has no control of his tongue. He just spews out foolishness right from the start. Uncontrolled lips destroy people. And so often the fool brings about his own destruction. I was uh, listening, There's a, there was a show on years ago called To Catch a Predator. I don't know if you remember it. Dateline NBC would host these stage, these events where people would try to contact a child online for sex and they'd meet them there and they'd be arrested. And the, the early, very early shows, they didn't work with the police. So some of those guys walked away, you know, from the sting operation. And uh, I was listening to a podcast where the, the news guy who did the show said he was really troubled by that. And a friend of his told him, don't be too concerned. He said, the world is a self-cleaning toilet. Now, we're Christians. That's not a very Christian worldview. But his point was, don't worry. They are so foolish, they will get themselves into trouble at another time. Right? Now, he, he calls it karma. That's what self-cleaning toilet means. We say the Lord doesn't let people get away. You know, your sin will find you out. As he looked back over all those men, almost all of them had done something foolish again and gotten caught and were in prison. In other words, the fool will be their own destruction. They will continue to act foolishly until finally they're caught and punished for their acts. You can go back to our text. It's like the person who talks themselves into a police car. I was watching a YouTube video the other day of a police uh, body cam thing. And the police responded to this house for a noise complaint. So you know what I'm talking about. Knock on the door, say, hey, keep the noise down, have a good night. Get back in your car, go about your business. That's what it should have been. But the lips, the mouth of those people, it ended up with six people being arrested. Some of them for felonies of assaulting a police officer. They just couldn't control themselves. I think, I think my wife was, I think the kids were in bed and, my wife was doing some laundry. I think I said something to the effect of, those are fools. Those are fools. How simple that should have been. A gracious, a wise person would have said, sure, officer, we'll, we're sorry, we'll, we'll put the music down. But a fool just can't help but 
from the beginning to the end of their speech, as he says there in Ecclesiastes, he says, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end is mischievous madness. Just crazy. Like, as I'm watching this video unfold, it's getting worse and worse, and I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is so unnecessary. This doesn't have to end this way. It's madness, and it is. That's what a fool produces. It's craziness, madness. Verse 8 in our text. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. A talebearer is a whisperer, a, a gossip, especially of untrue things. Their words wound the credit and reputation of the person being talked about. If, you're, if you've ever been on the receiving end of that, boy, that hurts. I've been there myself. And it hurts. I had a pastor who I knew, who I, I've known since I was a child. We grew up together. When I was raising support for my prison ministry, called other pastors and said untrue things about me. And it cost me support, and that hurt financially. But just realizing that what he said was blatantly false hurt my feelings because he's known me for my entire life. And then other men who've known me for over 10 years listened to him and just cut me off like that. Boy, that hurts. And from a pastor, nonetheless, spreading false things. The words of talebearer are as wounds. It actually means they cause wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. Their words wound the credit and reputation of the person being talked about, and they wound the person who hears them because it destroys their love for the other person. These wounds go deep into the belly, or as we would say, the heart. They hurt the person being talked about. I'm sure not many of us like being talked about behind our backs. Often this hurt will lead them to not trust church or even people anymore. The wound also goes deep into the heart of the one hearing the story. They believe it and think evil of someone. And one thing we need to learn as people is it's hard to undo hatred. It's hard to undo that which is sown into the heart. Don't be a talebearer. Don't talk, don't gossip. If someone comes to you and says, did you hear what Amy did the other day? Tell them, let's go talk with Amy about it. How about that? See how quickly they're like, oh, wait, wait a minute now, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I think I've told you before, this wonderful pastor I knew, a wonderful man I knew in this church, and there was this group who was against the pastor and fighting with the pastor, and they come up to him, trying to get him on their side. Did you hear what the pastor said? No, but let's go talk to the pastor about it. Come on. The guy never followed him. You know why? He wanted to tail bear. He didn't want to talk about it. Didn't want to deal with it. And most of what he's saying wasn't true. We need to be honest and we need to be forthright with one another. Don't, don't, don't give in to gossip. Don't listen to gossip. Don't spread gossip. Verse 9. He also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. A lazy worker is family to one who's a waster. Don't be lazy in your work ethic. Nothing worse than a lazy Christian. Nothing 
ruins the testimony of Christians in the workplace, like, like lazy, shoddy work. I, I can't tell you the number of people I've worked for who worked under me who were lazy, but said they were Christians. We should have the best work ethic. You know why? We're working for the Lord. We're doing our work as unto Christ. We should be at work on time. We shouldn't take long breaks. We should have good work quality that no one should look over our shoulder and say, well, let me double check the work they're doing because they've not been reliable in the past. That should not be said of a child of God. We should be a testimony in how we work. The lazy worker wastes opportunity, time, and causes great problems. John Gill, the commentator, says a wasteful master and a slothful servant are related to each other. Verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. I love this verse. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord signifies all that God is within himself. Namely, his attributes. This includes his love, mercy, power, knowledge, so on. God is a refuge for his people. I love how he words this here. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. By virtue of who God is, we can trust him. That's why Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness. When the God of heaven appeared to Abraham, Abraham said, by virtue of who he is, I believe him. Sarah counted him worthy who had promised. In other words, because of who God is, Sarah said, he's worthy to be believed. He's worthy to be trusted. It's who God is, the beauty of our God. So often we focus on, and listen, it's not wrong to give thanks. It's not wrong to say, I thank the Lord for this, this, and this. I thank the Lord for this, this, and this. But make sure you're not just giving thanks for the benefits of God, but for who God is in himself, in his person, in his attributes. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our love, our devotion, our trust. By virtue of who he is. He is truth. He doesn't just tell truth. He is love. He is mercy. He is justice. He is equity. For all those things, because of who God is in himself, he is to be worshipped and loved and praised. Turn to Psalm 61, verse 3. Psalm 61, verse 3. God is a refuge for his people. Psalm 61, verse number three. The psalmist speaking here says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I like how this is phrased in the psalm. Because while he does lean on who God, what God has done for him in the past, 
Thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower for my enemy. Before he says that, he says what? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, greater than I. He recognizes in his person God is greater. And because God is greater, God has always been there and been a refuge for him. We all know Psalm 91, but go ahead and go there. Psalm 91. Psalm 91, verse number 1. The Bible says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers, and under thy, His wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Surely he will deliver thee from the snare of the fire. Why surely? Why is, there, why is he so convinced? Because of who God is. He is the most high. He is the almighty. He is our refuge and our fortress. My God, in him will I trust. And when I trust in him, surely he'll deliver me. Why? Because of who he is. God is defined by his nature, by his attributes. He is a strong tower. His love is deliberate. You understand that? His love is deliberate. It cannot be changed. He doesn't change. As long as God is God, God loves you. Because he's chosen to love you. And unless he changes, that can't change. Oh, by the way, I am the Lord, I change not, he revealed in Scripture. God loves his people. His justice is so perfect that he avenges our enemies. His truth is so true, he can never tell a lie. He is so faithful, he can never break his covenant. Think about that. Think about how, how sure our salvation is. So in the Old Testament, when two men made a covenant, they would sacrifice an animal, they would cut it in half, and they'd pass through together between the parts of the animal to signify that each one would keep their side of the covenant. When God made a covenant with Abraham, he sacrificed the animal, he split it apart, and they put Abraham to sleep. And God himself passed through between the parts. You know what God was doing there? God was obligating himself to both sides of the covenant. He will make and keep this covenant himself. He has obligated himself both to save and to uphold our salvation. So we can rest so securely and so safely because God has put his name on it and said, by virtue of who I am, this is what I'm going to do. And we say, yes, Lord, because we believe of who you are, we trust that you're going to do that which you And there's rest in that. There's great rest in that. 
For these reasons, the righteous flee to the Lord for protection from the wrath of God as well as from the wiles of the devil. By contrast, the unrighteous flee from Christ. The self-righteous are so puffed up they try to stand alone on their own merits, not realizing they have none. The question this evening is, have you found refuge in Christ? If you have, you have eternal protection from the wrath of God and from the enemy of the devil. Refuge from sin, refuge from sin's power, refuge from sin's consequences, refuge from Satan and all his schemes, refuge from your own vain religious attempts at righteousness. I'm saved from myself as much as I am from from anything else. My self-righteousness was as dangerous as my sinfulness. The name of the Lord, I lost track of where I was there. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. We, we can rest in and trust in Christ because of who Christ is. God is trustworthy and true and loyal and faithful. I urge you to run to Christ. If you're not saved, run to Christ. If you are saved, every trial every temptation, every issue of life run to Christ. There's refuge, there's safety, there's love, there's acceptance in Christ. Don't try to stand on your own. Don't stand on your own knowledge. I know enough of the Bible, I don't run to Christ. Don't stand on your own merits, your own righteousness. Rest solely in Christ. He's a strong tower And the righteous run to him and they are safe. Those who abide under the shadow of the Almighty, or those who abide in the secret place of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Make that shadow your home tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, we trust you. Our plea by this word tonight, Lord, I ask that you would keep us from being fools. Guard our mouths, Lord, may May wisdom, thoughtful wisdom, come from our lips, not foolishness. May we stand aloof of the things of this world and seek to draw nearer to Christ. There is nothing, nothing that we will be sacrificing that we'll miss ever. No man will stand in heaven's shores and wish he had had more hobbies or more free time. So many will stand on heaven's shores and regret a life wasted. They could have known Christ better and they didn't. Help us, Lord, to draw near, to rest in you, Lord. Your name is a strong tower. You, You are your name. You are who you are. You are what you are. You are the eternal God, the righteous one, the holy one. You are truth. You are love. You are compassion. You are justice. You are equity. You are all all these things. You are truth. You cannot lie. You are faithful. And you have obligated yourself to us. 
May we find great rest, not just in what you do for us, but who you are. Because before you ever did anything for mankind, there you were, in eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God eternally worthy of worship and adoration, just because of who you are. And you, this great God, have chosen to draw near to us and to know us and to love us. Help us, Lord, to not take for granted the great grace that's been given to us. We love you, Lord. Dismiss us now with your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.